Hey, investing unscripted listeners, I have a new sponsor I want to tell you about, and it is a website I think you're going to want to check out. It's called finchat.io, and it is a complete stock research platform for fundamental investors. We all have places we go to get information about the stocks we invest in, and finchat.io is going to become your favorite place to go to get that information. Beyond having all the standard financial data for companies all around the globe, finchat also has company-specific segments and KPIs, or key performance indicators on over 1,500 stocks. So for example, if you want to see what Amazon's AWS revenue was over the past 10 years, or if you want to track match groups paying users, FinChat tracks all those KPIs and millions more. It also has beautiful design and institutional quality data. So if you want to make really nice looking charts that show these KPIs or any other information about the stocks you invest in, FinChat is an incredibly powerful and easy way to do that. I use FinChat all the time to look up information about the companies I invest in. I like how it's displayed visually. I find it to be a really helpful platform to use. To get 25% off any paid plan, go to finchat.io slash unscripted. That's finchat.io slash unscripted to get 25% off any paid plan today. Okay, I think I hit the right button. Somebody throw in the chat. Pretty sure we are we are live. Well, we're recording, whether we're Hi, live Eric. or not. I Eric is confirmed. That's right. The presidential <laughs> one is here. Hey, so, everybody. I like that um, not only here on the live stream, but we're getting random YouTube video comments now about your hair, and I kind of like that. Oh, I love it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. Jeff, it's uh, First Friday. It is. It, it's funny. It... February went by pretty quick, but the last sh show that we did like this feels like a very long time ago for some reason. So I'm Most glad of those to be... things are true, but it is yeah. almost like February is a shorter month. It certainly felt, felt that way. January always feels like it's twice as long as it is. And then February is like, snap your fingers and it's gone. So anyway, here we are. But this March this, first Fridays. This February didn't feel as short as they normally do to me. It felt like 24 hours longer. <laughs> All right, there we go. We did our leap year joke. We can we can move Here on we now. Here we go. Okay. All right. Do some housekeeping, Jeff. Pick the wrong time to hit mute and cough. Um, all right, real quick housekeeping. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us here live. If you're not listening to this live, um, you can always join us on the first Friday of every month. We send out a link to our uh subscribers of our newsletter. And uh occasionally we might not do it on the first Friday if if we're away or something, but that's the goal is First Friday of every month, we're going to do one of these live shows. So the best way to find out about it is to subscribe to the newsletter, where you will also get a transcript of our regular, regular, of our regular weekly show, as well as our Sunday newsletter. And um, you can also follow us and subscribe to us on all of the social media and podcast apps. Uh, but the big thing we're really pushing for and asking for is... Uh, some more ratings and reviews on the podcast apps because we are trying to grow the show. We're trying to get more people into our fun little investing unscripted universe. And the easiest and best way for people to find the show is if it gets more and more positive ratings and good reviews. So if you are so inclined to help us, we would appreciate that. All right, man. If, that's and if it. you've already have left the review, thank you. Now go yes. find your significant other's phone and do it again. Yeah. Yep, that's that's the right the right way to do it. Yep. All right, what's on the agenda today, Jeff? We got some so, we got some things lined up. I thought it would be fun to to start off, and this is a this is somewhere 
this is something where I want our, our live audience members here to chime in and throw us some ideas and share their thoughts. But I thought we are nearing the end of earnings season and it hadn't started when we did the last one of these. So there's been so many companies that I follow that have reported and same with you. Mm-hmm. So I thought we would kick things off by maybe highlighting some of the earnings that came out that piqued our interest or that we were particularly interested in, or maybe some that are upcoming. I have a couple on my list, but I'll let you start. What What's jumped out to you over the last couple of weeks? So one thing I've, I've paid, and I, th- I think I normally do this. I've paid a lot. I've certainly paid a lot more attention um, this season than I did in Q3. But I do think a lot of it is because this is most companies are reporting their full year results. Um, And I saw a lot of pretty well-established companies just do really, really well. And I saw a lot of companies that are trying to get established. Uh, The small cohort that I I look closely at, it seemed like more, more than otherwise kind of missed expectations but there were some really notable exceptions to that uh Coupang was one um jeff was kind of rubbing my nose in a little bit before we hit um before we started uh the the live stream that i've been pretty down on the company um while some of our other colleagues out there have been more bullish and saying look it's things are going to get better they proved a ton this quarter. They really did. The profitability was through the roof. Um, and they're, they're, they have a division of the company. It's like their other bets division. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's their, like their incubator. They've got some stuff coming that could be, could be pretty big. Um, so I was, I was impressed by that. This is a little bit of recency bias, Jeff, but um, Transmatics just reported. Um, and it, well, they reported on the 26th. So the beginning of the week. Um, but I just looked at the um, results yesterday um, and th- they went from losing money. Analysts, like all the guidance was they were going to have a losing money quarter. They made money. They generated positive cash and they're still growing like gangbusters. Um, so so that's one that um, it's a little recency bias kind of jumped out at me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you on coupon. I I have been. I don't own it yet. Um, it's on my watch list, but I've been a little bit more bullish on it than you have for the past several quarters. The big thing for me with them was, you know, they tipped into cash flow positivity at the beginning of 2023, after being cash flow negative before that, and they had eked into positive gap earnings territory prior to that but they had been staying there which i and while still growing pretty pretty strongly so to me that was like a good sign and felt like it could be still maybe early in their story i think what's Mm -hmm. interesting with them is they're sort of following the exact same playbook as amazon and i don't mean to compare the two because i don't that's never fair to the newer company but you know they have the e-commerce platform that's pretty dominant where they are they have a streaming service they have a a membership uh, feature that's similar to Amazon Prime that gets you faster yep. shipping and all that kind wow. of stuff. And, uh, so Wow Paid Memberships is growing really fast. Well, so that's the thing that jumped out to me. So so I, if I remember my numbers correctly, uh, in the fourth quarter, <clears throat> active accounts grew 16%, but their yeah. Wow membership grew 27%. Bingo. Yeah, that's exactly which right. Which is great. Yeah. Um, 
And another thing that they had in their investor presentation that I thought was pretty interesting was, you know, some companies will report cohorts, like all the people who joined in this year and how they do over time and all the people who joined in this year and how they do over time. Every cohort since 2018 has started out spending more than the one before it. And they're all heading up and to the right. Yep. So it just seems like there's a lot of good momentum. Now, what I'm interested, what I wonder about the company, and this is <clears throat> on the episode of our podcast that's going to drop next Wednesday, um, you'll hear us talk about uh, different types of biases. And the one, one of them was like a uh, bias to your own home country. And this is where I think it's easier for me to jump into Amazon than it is to Coupang or Coupang because I use Amazon and I understand the American market. What I don't know about Coupang is, have they saturated South Korea? I know they're expanding into Taiwan and some other areas, and maybe that's where they go next. But you know, that's one thing I don't know about it. But I certainly stayed at the top of my watch list based on this last quarter. So, do we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about Lemonade? I do. Yeah, I'm glad Eric mentioned it. We had we both had this um, on our list. I think of stocks to talk about. So I only looked at the, I'm curious your thoughts. I don't know if you looked at it any deeper than I did, but. No, I I haven't. I haven't. Well, so here's the the big thing that jumped out to me, because we've been talking about this specific metric for months now. Their loss ratios dropped again. So gross loss was down to Again to the 70s now, right? Yeah. 77% for gross loss, 78% for net loss. Um, That's down sequentially, and it's also down year over year. So. Well, and they told us several quarters ago that this was the expectation. They're like yeah. the trend, this was where it was going. So right. it's not just that it was better. Management told us this was what to expect and it's kind of happening. That's that to me, that's that's worth a lot. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe I I over indexed to this, but I'm very interested in when I look at non profit you know, companies that are not yet profitable, and I'm talking gap profitability, not adjusted. One of the things I look at is the net income or the net loss margin as a that percentage rather than total dollars. I think that's a better indicator, at least in my mind. And you can tell me if you disagree that yeah. it's heading in the right direction. Right. Well, that's and the every... thing. Directionally, you see it. Na- you want to see it narrow, right? That's and then right. and then flip. Yeah. So yeah. just real quick, like since about Q1 of 2021, it has been up. The net loss margin, you know, has been getting better. It's been improving up until the right. Shrinking. If you look at right. it on a chart, pretty consistently. Um, you know, some ups and downs along the way, but it's trending in the right direction. You know, so that's taking a long time. That's several years. But you got to remember back in 2021, they had not yet acquired Metro Mile, I don't think. I think that happened either around that time or later. It certainly wasn't integrated into the business. So it really was just, you know, the things they offer now weren't being offered back then. So it's become right. a more comprehensive business since. But um, I don't get the, I didn't get the drop, right? This one dropped pretty sharply the next day. And I, it seemed like good news to me. I, I don't know if I missed something or. So I think I think one of the things that happened because honestly I've I've looked at the the presentation, um, and I scanned the conference call uh, transcript, but I actually haven't looked. Strangely enough, I haven't actually looked at the stock. I haven't looked at the stock. I know that it fell, um, but. And I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, and I do remember right. Like it, it ran a lot before earnings. That's I, to me. It just has to be that. It just yeah. has to be like so, people. Well, but no, I think there's another part of it too. So it. So there was definitely a little bit of like the sell the news, 
But also one of the things that management did say is if you, if you go back a little bit and you talk about that net loss, that, mar that margin improving, um, part of that was because they started cutting back on uh, customer acquisition, uh, cutting mm -hmm. back on marketing spend. Um, they said they're going to start kind of ramping that back up. So I think there might be a little bit of the market saying, yeah, you got, you got money, but is this really the right time to do that? I think that may have been kind of part, part of the market's reaction with the sell-off. Because, I mean, it was up, I don't know, like 15% in a couple trading sessions before earnings. And then, what is it down? 12? 22. It's down 22% since, since that peak. So Yeah, and I, I think we're volatile. I was just, uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's still a very volatile stock too. So I feel like any, you know, Eric mentioned in the chat here that the letter mentioned lumpiness. And it feels like with, with these volatile high beta stocks, any tiny bit of bad news or potentially bad news might send the stock dropping significantly just because of the volatility of the stock itself. So, but as a shareholder, I was really happy. I was very tempted to buy the dip because I did not. I did not see a 20% drop worth of bad news in the report. Uh, so one of the, I want to talk about two of the companies that are in, in the chat here. Um, I want to come back to Transmetics because you mentioned that too. And I want to talk about that in, in relation to Outset because it, it's probably my second favorite story stock in the, in the medical space, but I've not yet invested in it. And I, I wonder if that's because I feel burned by out, outset medical. So we want to talk about that. But before we do, Stina mentioned um, Autodesk. And I, I want to bring that up because I mentioned previously that one of, you know, one of the stocks I picked uh, to talk about a couple episodes ago was Procore. We brought two stocks to the table and we talked about the things we didn't know yet. And I guess that episode resonated with a couple people because I got some social media people. People reached out to me on social media. Um, and the best comparison company I think that people brought up was Autodesk um, as a competitor. But Procore re had really solid earnings this past week. That was one that I was interested to see. Revenue growth, almost 30%, 29%. Um, they're also making the slow march to profitability, but they remained cash positive, cash flow positive. They, they flipped uh, a few quarter, two quarters ago and they've stayed there. Um, they're reducing their operating expenses as a as a percentage of revenue, so they're doing all the things that I want to see. Um, so that's good news to me because I think if if they are competing with Autodesk, that's quite a that's a hard company to compete against just based on size and resources. We should, so I should mention. Do you own Confluence. Trans? Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask you if you own Transmetics and what you thought, what you think about the I company. I don't. I don't. Um, I don't, I've got, I've got two friends that work there actually. Their headquarters is five, five, six miles from my house. Um, I was actually texting with, um, a buddy of mine, um, earlier this morning about it. And he said, they're super duper pleased. Um, I tend to, so my wife works in the healthcare industry and we have a pretty big exposure already, um, stock-based compensation and also, um, her, her income. Um, to, to healthcare. So I've tended to kind of tread lightly when it comes to investing in that space. Um, but I, I will tell you that Transmedics is incredibly compelling and there's a very good chance that I'll add it sometime reasonably soon. Yeah, it's every time 
I'm reminded of what the company does. It it's one of those ones I want to I want to see do well. You know, it's like yeah. got such a great mission and for yeah, for anybody and, that doesn't know, they're basically completely changing um, organ transplant, um, like the the viability of organs, the how long an organ can be outside of a human body and be viable for a transplant. Um, they're completely just changing everything with technology and also building out the infrastructure to actually do the the logistics part of it. Um, it's a pretty remarkable story. Um, so you're right. It's like, this is one you want to see them win. Yeah. And I, I don't know why I didn't buy it like earlier when I was less in my own head about this now, but I never did. And now I'm sort of gun shy because I've had a couple story stocks in my portfolio that have not turned out well. You know, one, it seems like the story, the stocks I most want to root for have not yet turned out for me. Um, and the one I always talk about is outset medical. And we talked about it a lot last year, just cause it was in my portfolio. Um, I thought they actually had a good quarter. Um, it seems like no, no, no matter what they do, this stock is just going to get hammered. But just real quick, just because I think this is these are good metrics. So revenue growth was not great. They're still struggling on the top line. And I think some of that is still the hangover from having to pause the sales of one of the models of their device. But they only report their install base every fourth quarter. So it, you know, I haven't seen an update on these numbers in a year, but their total install base was up 34%. The, the acute and subacute provider base was up 27% and home providers was up 63%. So it's like with all the, all the turmoil that they went through and all the issues, there's still 63% more home providers now than there were a year ago. And that's, right. to me, that's the most exciting part of the business. Um, you know, they still have a lot of work to do, but I, it makes me feel like this might take me a while, but I, it could turn out to be okay in like 20 years. <laughs> Jeff, have, I just, I can't remember. Have I talked about Confluence on any of the podcast episodes we did? I don't, I don't think I have. I don't, I don't know. Do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've heard this from me before, suck it up. You're going to hear it again. Um, Confluent stocks up forty six percent since they reported. Um, that's it. Only the yeah, that's I know. Come on, do better. <laughs> but no, it's up forty six percent since um, the sixth, February sixth. Uh, they really delivered. They really, really delivered. And I wanted to mention it because this is one of the stock that I talked about when we did the episode about you know knowing what you don't know. Um, and like trying to be at least aware of your blind spots and that kind of stuff. But it reminded me of the, the comment Tyler Crow made in a show that we did with him um, about having enough conviction to not sell, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's what you have to have with these businesses that are trying to figure it out. Now, I, I have very high conviction with, with um, Confluent, but it's one of those things that sometimes you kind of have to go through you know, wandering the desert um, with some of these businesses before they figure things out and then they figure things out and then boom, it just, it's remarkable what can happen and having that conviction to not sell and let the thesis play out um, can be hard, very, very hard to do. Um, thinking about some of, and I did the little write-up, I wanted to mention this too, I did my, my little screed for the newsletter um, 
about um my my best performing stock like looking back over 13 years 12 years of holding a stock and seeing how well it's done over that period of time because we get so myopic and caught up in what's happened right now and how is it affecting my portfolio and we're i mean we're so blinded um we, we try to talk about being long term and we spend so much time looking at the quarterly results and we get so driven to do something um it, it really does get get in, in the way of attaining that long term success yeah and i think it's it's funny cuz you were trying to kind of sell me on that stock a few months ago and i was I was I was understanding what you were saying. You were making a pretty compelling point. You just I was pushing. Me. I, well, I was pushing back at you mostly because it's just kind of fun to do that. Yeah. Um, but you, you we said actually, at the time we serve, we serve that role for each other sometimes. Yeah. So. And you said like it. You felt like it was about to turn the corner, and you know the results. I think that might have even been between before a Q three results, if it was if I remember correctly. Um, all right. So you mentioned Tyler, and we're about to pivot to a new topic. So uh, I want to quickly do something goofy. So Tyler. Um, mentioned to us that when our FinChat ad plays in our podcast feed, it's just sort of abrupt. It's just like we're in the middle of a sentence and then it's just me reading the ad. Um, and that's because I'm lazy, if we're being honest. But he said it would, be, it would be better if we had like a little sound effect. So like we knew that the ad was coming. So I'm going to make a sound effect. <laughs> and this is where I'm going to put the ad later. Okay. Does that sound all right? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Ready? Whoosh. Hey, investing unscripted listeners. I have a new sponsor I want to tell you about, and it is a website I think you're going to want to check out. It's called finchat.io, and it is a complete stock research platform for fundamental investors. We all have places we go to get information about the stocks we invest in, and finchat.io is going to become your favorite place to go to get that information. Beyond having all the standard financial data for companies all around the globe, finchat also has company-specific segments and KPIs, or key performance indicators on over 1,500 stocks. So for example, if you want to see what Amazon's AWS revenue was over the past 10 years, or if you want to track match groups paying users, FinChat tracks all those KPIs and millions more. It also has beautiful design and institutional quality data. So if you want to make really nice looking charts that show these KPIs or any other information about the stocks you invest in, FinChat is an incredibly powerful and easy way to do that. I use FinChat all the time to look up information about the companies I invest in. I like how it's displayed visually. I find it to be a really helpful platform to use. To get 25% off any paid plan, go to finchat.io slash unscripted. That's finchat.io slash unscripted to get 25% off any paid plan today. Okay, that was it. So so when you if you listen later, that's where so the good. ad's going to be. So good. Um, so you know what we actually should do? Um, is we should take the part of the conversation where you were describing what you were going to do, or like when you said it's always really abrupt, and then we just, just cut right halfway there. through abrupt <laughs> and start the ad. That's what we that's, should really that's do. That's a better idea. Maybe we'll do that. And then, But then take the little sound effect and then put it at the end of the ad. Yeah. All right. Either way, it'll be goofy and stupid. Oh, audience, and vote. Come on. Tell us what we should do. Yeah. What should we do? And Jen, thank you. Yes. You now have audio evidence that I admitted I was lazy. Um, but hey, you know, that's, that's what makes me an excellent investor. My laziness. <laughs> Our first vote is in. Eric says, here's my vote. I want that 30 <laughs> seconds of my life back. There you go. You are Hold listening on. to the wrong podcast for that, Eric. There you go. There you um, go. That's right. All right. So let's, let's pivot to the Berkshire Hathaway annual letter. And I, 
I want to kick off this conversation with a couple quick thoughts because I read the letter every year since I've you know been investing so the, in stocks so like the past four years, times. all four years I've read it. <laughs> but this one jumped out to me in particular, and I don't know why. I think it might be because it's felt very frothy in the market the last several months, and this it to me like was very grounding to be reminded about some of the things that he wrote about. If anyone's not read it yet. I highly recommend it. But so two things jumped out to me to be very interesting. The first was the whole first page is not in the format of the normal letter. It's just a tribute to Charlie Munger, which was not unexpected, I don't think. Yeah, I'll talk about that. What I thought was interesting, at least the way I read it, is he basically gave all, if not most of the credit for for the success of Berkshire Hathaway to Charlie Munger. And... Like absolutely just said, like, basically, no, he did this. And he he just sort of was nice enough to not say he was doing it <laughs> in the moment, um, which I thought was interesting. It didn't surprise me. Like, I always had a sense that he probably had a little bit more of a, a role than they let on publicly. But it was kind of nice to see him come out and just basically give Charlie all the credit in the world for what Berkshire's done. So that's the first thing that jumped out to me. And the second thing was, he's just such a good writer, like forgetting all his investing prowess, like the way he writes is great. And he went through the whole letter basically as if using his, is this his sister, Bertie? Bertie, yeah, um, his sister. As a, as a, you know, shareholder. And basically here's what I would tell my sister or you, cause you're all shareholders. And it just reminded me that we, we are buying businesses. You know, we are buying tiny, tiny, tiny pieces of a business. And I don't think, there are any other, or ma- very many. Well, Jeff, CEOs you're, you're that, buying tiny, tiny, tiny yes, pieces. Yes, tiny, of very tiny pieces. No, but I'm like, buying tiny, tiny pieces. Right, one less tiny on your end. Um, Band name. One less tiny. Yes. All right, it's fine. It's average, like all the ones you come up with. Um, Jeez. But I like. I, there's not many CEOs, if any CEOs, that actually talk to shareholders in either through a letter or on a conference call, like we're actual human beings who own part of the business. It's so corporatized and buzzwordy and spin. And this is just straight up, here's what was good. Here's what was bad. He basically said two of the businesses they own aren't very good. <laughs> like he kind of, he kind of said the, the uh, Berkshire Hathaway energy and the, um, what was the other one he called out? I forget the, the other truck, one. Trucking business, maybe? Yeah, I forget. There was BNSF. two that he basically he said, like, yeah, BNSF. Yeah, like, BNSF. yeah not, not doing yeah. great right now. But then right. insurance, awesome. You know, so it's just, I don't know, I thought it was very grounding and interesting and it stuck out to me compared to past letters. So I want to I want to say this before I go back to the, the Munger part, um, because I don't want to forget. I think it's important. Tyler Crow, I hate giving Tyler Crow credit for anything. It's the ever. worst. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Um, but Tyler and I, we talk investing, you know, sometimes more, even more than you and I do, Jeff. And he has been kind of pounding the table that a lot of Berkshire subsidiaries, they, they don't do as well as their publicly traded counterparts do. Lower margins, lower returns. They don't seem to be as well run um, as, as those public, you know, as those public competitors out there. And Buffett kind of, I mean, he kind of confirmed that in in this letter. He really did. Um, and I can't help but wonder if this wasn't maybe Buffett in his 
kind way because he does give a lot of autonomy. They they don't buy businesses to run them from Omaha, right? They 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 buy businesses to let the people that are running them continue to be excellent managers. And maybe this was his like public um calling out of them and saying, "Hey, do better." So, I think that was kind of interesting. The other part of it that that I want to you know, of course, every if you've ever been to a wake or a funeral, people say kind things about the departed. It's what we do. Um, and sure, Buffett was not going to miss that opportunity to praise um, Charlie Munger. Um, but I don't think there was a single bit of hyperbole in what he wrote. Not yeah. a single bit. I've been, Jeff, you, you can confirm this. I've been saying for a long time that Munger is more important to Berkshire and what it's become and Warren Buffett's investing success than anybody gives him credit for. I have absolutely been, been, been saying that for a long time because of the fact that he got Warren to change the way that he invested, shifting that incredible mind away from trying to just buy it below book value, buy it at a discount to intrinsic value and just pay a fair price on a great business. And then Buffett took that and did it one better. And he said, I'm still, I'm going to go find these great businesses, but I'm going to be really, really damn patient. And I'm still going to buy them cheap. Like if you look at all of his major buys, like he bought Apple at 15, less than 15 times earnings, right? That's why Apple's been such a huge winner for Berkshire because it was an incredible business that Buffett was crazy patient about. And he bought it when it was trading for true like value investor pricing. And here you go. So yeah. I, I believe that Munger doesn't still doesn't get enough enough credit for that. And it was I think it was by design though. I really do. I think it was by design. Yeah, it certainly made it seem like that. Like that was sort of the way they wanted it to be. The other, I'll say one last thing about it, and then we can move on to the next thing. So the other, the last thing that jumped out to me, and I was reminded of it as I was just scrolling through, um, trying not to listen to you talk. The, the over, he over and over again reiterated the margin of safety that's built into the business, and I thought that was interesting. It, it yeah. wasn't like he made the point once. He basically was like, "If this terrible thing happens, we'll be fine," and then a couple paragraphs later, and also if this terrible thing happens, we'll also be fine, and couple paragraphs later and if this happens we'll be all right you know so i don't know i maybe we're over over analyzing the degree to which he's trying to send a message but it certainly he certainly seemed to be pounding home the idea that they're leaving some potential returns on the table in order to be resistant to just about anything that you know the world can throw its way so i thought that was one last interesting thing yeah all right no, it's it's true so we don't talk we haven't talked a lot lately about macro macroeconomic stuff but you know the last uh couple reports with inflation and and all the speculation about interest rates seem to put a seem to slam the brakes on on Wall Street's expectations that we were going to start to see rate cuts as early as March and there was a day or two there where the market was in the red because of it, it doesn't seem to have slowed it down in the overall scheme of things uh has had many good days since then, but I'm curious if you uh, if you have any interesting thoughts on uh, where we are with the overall economy right now. Yeah, I mean, I think we're still kind of in this weird limbo, um, and it does surprise me that the market's done as well as it 
as it has. And maybe that's the most important takeaway for me is that it's as much as we're going to talk a little bit about the macro stuff here is it goes back to the Peter Lynch quote. You know, if you've spent however long talking about or thinking about macro, you've spent all of that time was too long, right? If you spent a minute, you've spent 50 seconds more than you should have or whatever. Um, and, and I think broadly that's ab still, it's, it's so absolutely true when it comes to managing your portfolio. Right. When it comes to your investments. Um, I mean, I think there's some caveats there because like the whole interest rate thing. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask about that because that's something I've sort of evolved on. Yeah. I, I think, I think as you're approaching a time where you need to think about changing asset allocation, you're 10 years, five years from retirement, you got a kid that just started high school. So you're four years away from, you know, college needing to turn college savings into college dollars. Um, where you do need to be very aware of how macro stuff can happen that can blow up returns. The interest rate skyrocketing, um, I think, is an excellent example because as much as like the, we saw the tech stocks crash, it really started in late 2021. Um, and like we say, it was, it was a bubble and all of that. And that was true. Valuations were in, out of control. It was interest rates rocketing up that popped the bubble because cost of capital changed, right? And I don't think that's enough people are talking about that. There's still so much focus on, well, everything was overvalued and it was kind of the go, go, go days of, of getting in on these hyper growth companies that are burning cash. The biggest catalyst was interest rates going up, right? And thinking about, so just, just imagine if you were a person who was sitting on your nest egg and it's December 31st, 2021. And then we start going into this downturn and you're four or five years from retirement and you're seeing interest rates are starting to go up and you're like, well, you know, my stocks have done so well. I'm just, I'm going to just ride it out. And let's say you had $2 million portfolio. It's a nice sizable, you're 60 years old. That's a pretty good place for most people to be in. By the end of 2022, what was that portfolio worth if the market fell 25%? Last I checked, you just lost a half a million dollars of retirement money, right? And it was macro. Macro did it to you. Macro did it to you, right? So um, that's why I think it's so important that people do things like laddering um, into other asset classes. So like, I'll explain laddering really quickly here because I think it's a useful thing to think about is that you slowly start building up a portfolio of these other things. So like, let's say you, you're going to, maybe you start taking a, I don't know, $1,000 a quarter and you sell it as stocks or you sell that index fund um, in your 401k and you allocate it into a bond fund instead or start laddering into actual bonds or CDs or whatever. And or then the next even quarter, dividend paying stocks, if you want to stay invested in equities, right? Like that's another yeah, thing that people yeah, do. But you start, you start every month, every quarter, every period, you build it out. And when you're thinking about like buying bonds or CDs or stuff like that, that it's going to mature. See, I said it correctly that time. Um, <laughs> the idea of the ladder is that every, every month or quarter or year, another rung of that ladder falls off. Right. Right. So you add another one on. So what happens with those assets is that when you actually do enter into the, the period where you're going to start 
taking distributions from those accounts, your account automatically, the cash just shows up because that CD matures or that bond, it, it, it reaches its maturity date and the, and the cash shows up in your portfolio. So it's actually, it's all you're doing is the buying on the front end and the selling happens automatically and the cash shows up in your account, right? So thinking about doing those sorts of things is that's how you make yourself immune from the macro or, or anti-fragile maybe. Yeah. And I'm glad you caveated the, the Peter Lynch quote because I used to, so before I really understood the impact of interest rates on stock investing, I was of the mindset of like, and this, this is actually a, a result of having lived through as a index fund investor through my retirement account, having lived through both the 2021, I'm sorry, 2001, 2002 era, and also the great financial crisis of just kind of being like, all, all this stuff works itself out in the long run. And I still, at the time back then, and still do still have a long run ahead of me, God willing. So I was very much of the mindset of kind of like ignoring that stuff. But once I understood interest rates have a direct influence on stocks, just in how they go up or down, but also the cost of capital on businesses, I do think that's worth paying attention to. What's not worth paying attention to is trying to make what I think is not worth doing is making investing decisions on based on whether you think the Fed might cut rates in March or June or September. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Um, and I like Eric's point here that he put into the chat. I got to be honest, the fact that quote unquote analysts and market expectations are pricing in a cut in June is mind boggling. I think I, I agree with that to a degree, to, to a point, but I also, I think it's worth remembering like, one 25 basis point cut would still leave interest rates high enough to have probably the same impact they're having now, I would think, on the overall stock market and stuff. But these, but the idea that it would go back to near zero is doesn't make any sense to me, simply from the fact that like that's the only, not the only, that's the biggest tool the Fed has to fight a future recession, <laughs> is like... You know, if we do hit a really bad recession at some point, they're going to lower interest rates to combat it. So you right. got to keep those bullets in your gun, so to speak, um, and not just, you know, spend them so too soon. So, yeah, March always seemed crazy to me. June, I agree, feels a little bit too soon. And maybe the last numbers are going to kick it even further. Um, but I don't know. I'm not, in case anyone's not aware of this, I'm not an economist. I just want to make that clear. Well, I mean, honestly, that that means that your prediction is probably more likely to be correct. Economists talk <laughs> at this stuff. <laughs> well, and here's here's the other thing too. Like, I, the, I don't know. I don't listen to like every Fed call, but like just listening, just watching the news and stuff. They've been pretty clear. It seems like that like they're shooting for that two percent inflation target. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if it, if it were currently like. 2.5, 2.4 or something. Like I could see people being like, well, maybe they'll cut rates sooner rather than later. But like, it's still kind of decently above that, right? Aren't we still in like 3% range? Um, high twos. It's come down. It's coming down. Is but it below three so, now? I don't know. So I, it yeah, just, but I, I think like, I mean, that's still, that's still like, I don't know, almost 50% higher than the target. It's, it's, it's a substantially yeah. higher. So the, but what I wanted to say is that I really, I think broadly what the, the Fed board governors are doing is smart. It's you say things to keep the stock market from crashing and then you do things to keep the economy from crashing, right? And I think that's the approach that they're taking. Um and so 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's just the reality. But and I and I look at the market broadly, and I think this is one of the things I struggle with. Uh, the PE ratio for the S and P five hundred is still over twenty three times, right? It's higher than it was back in twenty nineteen. Um, so it's basically like twenty sixteen levels. It's was it was a little higher than where it is now, but that's right when they started raising interest rates. Um, to build that toolkit, that toolkit back up, right before the pandemic, and then they slashed to zero. Um, so, yeah, I'm not making any decisions based on when, when, or if the Fed cuts rates again. I, I am interested. I don't know what you think about this. I, it's interesting to me. We, I thought we would see a lot sooner, like tangible evidence that the higher cost of capital was hurting some of the more fragile businesses. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. Again, this is me coming into this completely naive to how this all works. So that was just probably my lack of understanding that I expected to see it like in 2023. Right. But I'm wondering, like, do, is this the year we do see some companies get into real big trouble because they are running low on cash and now, you know, or, or their debt's rolling over and instead of having 1% debt, they're going to have 6% debt? Like, I don't. Well, we, I mean, we've started seeing it in a few. Uh, Walgreens uh, is a, is an example. Walgreens Boots Alliance. Um, they they have a pretty sizable amount of debt in a reasonably profitable business. There's some decline going on and some challenges and stuff, but really it's debt that's been like their biggest issue. Debt and their dividend. Um, they ended up slashing the dividend because well, you, you, it, the math wasn't wasn't working. So we've we've seen a few examples like that. I think. 3M could be one of those, but it's going to be a combination of debt, also major liabilities to some product issues like the Forever Chemicals, the PFAS. There's lawsuits there. Um, they're costing but, a lot of money. But and, both of those all, examples are pretty big companies. Like I'm thinking more yeah. like the the tinier cash burning right. ones that probably wouldn't or shouldn't have come public in 2021 and 2022. Like I expected we'd see a lot more of those either get taken private or get acquired or file I think for bankruptcy. I'll, and maybe we I, are, maybe they're just not the ones that I'm aware of, but right. I don't know. I just feel like in my universe of like, so I, I think, feel like my, my universe of, of like being aware of stocks, I feel like is decently sized just by the fact that, you know, we do the show and I write a little bit about it. Um, and I just haven't, it hasn't crossed my radar a lot, or I've expected more carnage, I guess. I think, I think the, 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 the answer is that real estate has gotten hit pretty hard, right? And we're starting to see the effect of that on REITs with interest rates going up. And, and like the, mar the market is basically, with a lot of those, has kind of reaffirmed that the price cuts made sense because their cash flows are going to be affected. Mm -hmm. And but when you think about the tech companies like the cash burn startups, SPACs, all of that kind of stuff, um, the reality, Jeff, is I don't think because if you think about um, the the there's the very little money flowing in venture capital, um, private equity is not rushing in to to save a lot of these companies right now because they're waiting for them to get in a lot of trouble, right? Right. Uh, yeah. The whole business model I'm... is paying, you know, a dime for a dollar uh, in private equity. So I think, I think that's why we haven't seen a lot of activity yet, is because they're running out of money, but they still have money. 
Right. Yeah. That and that's basically what I'm saying. Like, I'm curious yeah. to see if over the course of this calendar year, if let's just say there's no huge macro change, right? The economy stays kind of where it is now. It hasn't crashed. It hasn't gotten significantly better. If how much more time needs to pass before we start to see some of these companies that are go, you know, are on the edge financially actually start to to tip over. So oh, I think it'll be this year. I really do. Yeah. Well, that, really that's what I'm interested. That's my last thought on on the macro. Um, I just want to acknowledge here that Eric is saying that it takes a while to move through the system and that we should trust him. He writes music for a living, which is a great comment. Um, I, I get you, Eric. I'm a former teacher slash administrator overseeing music teachers. So I think you and I are pretty much the experts on this generally. Um, all right. So we have another comment here from Jordan. Jordan, it's a great question. I like that. Yeah. If you have time, can you speak to shifting from mutual funds into ETFs or even individual stocks in a retirement account? I have a Roth IRA that I moved into my Fidelity account that I am now actively managing. I'm wondering if there are tax implications for selling the mutual funds that were previously purchased to free up cash for purchasing funds with lower expense ratios and better returns. Yeah. So if you, if you, if, if you have, if, so you if it is a Roth IRA that you have or a rollover IRA, anything that says IRA or 401k, with, with very few exceptions, there are exceptions to this, but there should not be any tax implications for selling assets held inside those sorts of accounts. You're not going to pay any capital gains taxes. The whole point of those, those accounts is that you will not pay on any gains or dividend income or any of that sort of thing ever. And even when you begin taking distributions from a Roth, they're tax-free, right? When you, once you reach certain you know, eligibility in terms of age and, and that sort of thing to take those distributions, because you're fully taxed on the income. You don't get to take a tax deduction for contributions to, to Roth, right? So, so I don't think you should have any implications. I will say this, that um, mutual funds versus ETFs, ETFs are more tax-efficient in and of themselves as an entity, I'm not going to get into the weeds on this, but what that means is that they're better to hold than mutual funds, generally speaking. So I, I would certainly suggest anybody, you're better off buying an ETF than a mutual fund. And if you're looking at Fidelity or Vanguard or any of like the big houses that have mutual funds, they usually have ETFs of the same exact fund anyway. Jeff, I think you were going to say something. I was just going to add that um, neither of us are qualified to really give this answer, that you should do your own research, but that's our understanding. No, we're qualified <laughs> to give the answer. We're just not qualified to give it to you individually as advice, which we're not doing. Or say it's correct. I mean, let's be honest. This is you speaking. That's mean. I'm not a nice person. That's... All right, let's move on. So <laughs> we're going to go to a new topic here. Hopefully we'll get some uh, more input from the audience on this one. So Jason, what was the last stock you bought and what was the last stock you sold? I have an interesting sell story I'll tell you later, but you can start. So I will tell you this. It was on uh, February 15th and there were two of them. Um, one was Texas Instruments. These are your buys you're talking about? These are buys. These are okay. buys. One was Texas Instruments and Ooh, the, other was, the other was Enphase. Enphase. Let me see. So while you're looking that up, I, yep. I will say that I own Texas Instruments, and I've been thinking about adding to it for a while, but I haven't pulled the trigger. And I don't own Enphase. It's been on my watch list. I've, I felt like it was 
expensive all the time, but I have not looked at it over the past six to 10 months while it's sort of gotten beat up. So I'm, I'm guessing thing- since you bought more that you felt the valuation was reasonable. Yeah. So it was, well, and it wasn't so much about the valuation within phased is that it was about, so they reported earnings. I just wanted to confirm the date. They reported on the sixth, the stock went up a ton after earnings. Um, but to, to crib Dave Gardner a little bit here. Yeah. The stock is down a ton, but I, I bought on a stock price that had gone up a lot because I felt like I was buying strength. If you looked at their financial results, their guidance, even with the the solar, you know, the residential solar industry being in a big cyclical downturn, the business is really strong, and they confirm those things to me um, enough that I felt confident in adding to my position. Um, the stock's down since then because their their frenemy peer company, Solar Edge, reported after they did and reported really crappy numbers, um, and the two stocks kind of move in tandem. So, um, but I'm pretty pleased with that decision. And I added to, to Texas Instruments for the first time in a long time. Um, most, most semiconductor stocks are not have, haven't had a great year and a half. Um, there's a couple of exceptions, the ones that have benefited from AI. Um, Texas Instruments, they're analog semiconductors. And it just felt like, a, like not deep value, but the valuation for the quality of this business and the returns that it's generated over the past 20 years. Um, I was just ready to buy more. You're muted. You sound better. It's bad doing that on the live show because uh, <laughs> I can edit it out on the on the non-live show. Um, Texas Instruments is interesting to me because they've had several quarters of not great results because they're in a downside of a cyclical, you know, during a cyclical downturn. But the stock still like it, it never lost as much of like the valuation compared yeah. to its results. So that. That actually says to me, like, that's a sign of strength, in my opinion. Like, yeah. I always interpret that as, like, the market and the analysts and whoever, like, know that this is just sort of like a temporary thing. And, yeah, it'll sell off a little bit, but it'll never get cheap because I don't think anyone's worried that the business is going away. It's just right. it's a cyclical industry, and this is the downturn. Well, yeah, the revenue, like, just, just to kind of contextualize that, the revenue – for the first quarter where the where solar edge and Enphase both are guiding, we're talking like 2017, 2018 level revenues. Like they're giving up five years of revenue growth, but the stocks are still, as much as they've fallen, they're still up like three X, four X. So the multiple, like you said, is still um is still up from there. So yeah. you're spot on. All right. What's the last stock you sold? You know, I forgot to look this up for the show. I really I did. I'm, I'm it's been a while. All right, you look. I'll, I'm looking. I'll, I'll do my. I'll do my. You, recent buys. you have a story. You have a story. But that's a sell story. I'll do my buys, and then we'll both talk okay. about our. Okay. Sales. Yeah, yeah. And if anyone wants to chime in, their recent sells or buys. Um, so the most recent buy I made, I can't talk about yet. Um, but so I'll skip that one. But before that, the last one I bought was Fortinet. Um, which is a cybersecurity company. If anyone's not familiar with it, I and, was really confused. I thought you said Sportsnet. I'm like. What the hell Fort- is that? Fortinet. It's Fortinet. A, it's, it's a hard right. word to say. And I'm from New Jersey, so I would probably just say like Fortinet. Right? Like, wouldn't even it, it. Yeah. So it's interesting because, so they reported in Q2 of th- 23 and the stock dropped 20%. And I didn't do anything because I, I just didn't. Then it reported again in Q3 and the stock dropped again like 
and I didn't do anything. And then it reported in Q4 and it dropped not 20%, but it dropped. And I bought. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm, you know, I, I spend enough time like seeing why it dropped. The numbers, yeah, they're they're in they're hitting a little bit of a downturn too, but it didn't deter me. I still think this is a the track record of this company makes me confident that this is just a slowdown. And it wasn't like an enormous buy. So if I'm wrong, it'll be okay. But that's the last one I bought. And the one before that, I just think is worth mentioning because I bought PayPal before that for two reasons. It had been this like pathetically tiny, tiny, tiny piece of my portfolio. I bought it years ago when I was still kind of learning and I just let it sit and didn't do anything. And I don't typically, I'm not typically interested in betting on a new management team. Like that style of investing doesn't appeal to me. But looking back at sort of the last several years of what PayPal was trying to do made just like no sense. Like it was, I don't even follow the company, I would say like very closely. And I could, I could tell that they sort of didn't really know what they wanted to do. You know, they wanted to be an everything app and they wanted to do uh, something different. And then all of a sudden it was like, we don't care about user growth. We want to focus on our, our core customers. And, and still with all that, in my mind, they're a top, if not the top company when it comes to paying for things online, not using a credit card and peer-to-peer payments. Like I know people use the cash app, but everyone in my life uses Venmo and sometimes PayPal. I've used so, Cash App exactly one time. I never used it once. Um and I don't I this could also be like we're not the right demographic, like maybe it's more popular with people who aren't middle-aged dads. But yeah. to me it's like for for being so unfocused for several years and dealing with pandemic craziness and dealing with spinning out of the eBay stuff, there was just so much crap going on. It 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 makes sense that they sort of have struggled. And I don't know. I just feel like if they can have a little bit of focus and just rely on the fact that this is still a pretty well-known brand with with features and products and platforms that people like and use, and it was stupid cheap. Um, so that, so I, I bought more. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say I even have like incredible conviction right now. I just I just feel like it's not as bad as, as the valuation would make it seem. Um, so it's like a risk reward. Jeff is currently going through his, um, what investing, uh, phase will we call this stupid decisions that you think sound smart phase? (laughs) No, I, I think my reasoning is sound and I agree. I know. I agree. We talk, I think we made a video about this, Jeff. It's, 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 I think, I think you're right. I think you, you bought it with a margin of safety, right? And I think that's a big thing. That's a big right. thing. We got like eight minutes left. So I got my cell. You got your cell? Got All right. Do yours and yeah, I'll I've, do mine. I've already talked about it. It was, it was Walgreens. Walgreens, the last one I sold. I capitulated and I moved on. Next right. was... That's boring. Yeah, what did I do with it? Turned it into cash. I haven't... Re- no, 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 no. No. Yeah, turned it into cash. All yeah, right. Just turned it into cash. So here's, here's my le- sell story. I haven't sold a stock since... Early December, I think December 11th, but I sold one, two, three, four, five, six, six stocks completely sold out of. And it was part of a 
portfolio cleanup slash tax loss harvesting bender that I went on because I am still trying to have less stocks and especially less stocks that I bought under borrowed conviction or not really understanding the business. And they were all very, very small pieces of my portfolio. Um, I'll, I'll say what they were just in case anyone's interested. Uh, Walker Dunlop, which does uh, commercial real estate stuff, didn't really understand it, bought it on a borrowed conviction, small position, got rid of it. Sold Target. I still like the company. I might even buy it again, but it was a small position. I, I, was, in that, I was in that space of not bringing myself to add to it, but also not wanting to sell it. And I was just like, I cut bait. Same thing with Starbucks. It was like small, small, small. And Pinterest, tiny position. McCormick, tiny position. And Disney. Disney, it was just taking up too much mind space. I was done trying to figure out what they were going to do. I will tell you that every single one of those stocks other than Starbucks is up some significantly <laughs> since I sold them in December. Um, so, of course, my hindsight bias is I'm an idiot and should have just held them. Um, but I actually am okay with what I did. I think in total, all of those sold was like less than 1% of my portfolio. I mean, it, these were like very, very small positions. And yeah. I... And you, well, you, and you freed up that capital to invest where you have conviction. Yeah. And I'm still like, again, like I, I want to know why and I want to believe in everything that I own. That's just kind of where I want to be. And my stock portfolio is still small compared to my overall portfolio. So it's like, there's no reason to hold on to like a stock that I've put $200 into cost basis wise. Like that just doesn't make sense. So anyway, yep. kicking myself a little bit because they're all up, some of them up 20, 30%, but you know, it is what it is. All right. We got some, uh, some questions here. Maybe we can wrap up with the last few. So here's one from Ryan. Uh, do you factor asset location into your buy decisions. For example, if you had cash available in a Roth, would you look to buy more tax inefficient assets like REITs before looking to buy stocks or ETFs that are more tax efficient? Yes, yeah, this, this is a good question. And there's a couple of answers. Jen gave a good answer talking about how more, she's more likely to buy stocks that are going to grow. So you're going to get a lot of capital appreciation um, since I won't ever have to pay taxes on them. Kind of like that. Um, I, I, li I like the idea of buying things like REITs that are tax inefficient. Um, mm -hmm. the, the idea being that with read, read dividends generally is going to be at your marginal tax rate, right? So that's pretty, that's definitely the highest rate you're going to pay on most investments. Um, and at the end of the day, anything you own in a, like a 401k or like that sort of, it's, it's going to be taxable income at some point. So whatever you, whenever you take it out, whatever your marginal tax rate is, when you take that money out of the 401k down the road that's the income tax you're going to pay. So the, it's a good chance it could be actually higher than, than long-term gains. So um, there's a lot of different ways to think about it. The taxes is just part of it. For me, I think about the Roth really is income optionality, right? In retirement, it's not uncommon for somebody in retirement. Maybe, maybe it's time to buy a boat, an RV or some other thing. Well, you got to pull the money out of an account to do it. And if it's going to bump you into a higher tax bracket, maybe that's the year that you take a big distribution from the Roth, thinking about managing your taxes in retirement. So that's generally, that's the way I think about Roth. It's more about the tax optionality down the road and not getting so caught up in how I treat the assets inside the account. Yeah, I don't have a Roth. So it, for me, it's just my brokerage or a traditional IRA. Um, 
But I think more, this is just my me personally with my situation. I feel like I have a lot in the bucket of money I can't touch till I'm 59 and a half. Um, so I, I think less about taxes and more about trying to build up a brokerage account with a decent amount of stocks in it so that I have a little bit of optionality in terms of if I want to use that money for something prior to retirement age or, or when I can take you know money out of the, the IRA or my 403B, my you know retirement account. So um, I don't know. I also think and maybe this changes if I'm lucky enough to have, you know, a lot, a lot of money. I, I think people sometimes overthink the tax piece a little bit, um, unless you're, again, unless you're talking like really big sums of money. But I, I could be completely wrong about that. I, I, I'm not there yet. I don't think I have to worry about it yet. Um, so, but I like, I, for, I like what you said about REITs, like the things that have, you know, are taxed at higher rates. If you're going to make a choice between a tax deferred account or, and a brokerage account, the tax deferred, deferred account makes more sense for stuff like that. Maria shared uh, her last buy was on holding and last sell was next era. Yeah, I, I have concerns about next era. And with on holding, um, I, I just keep thinking about um, Under Armour, <laughs> right? Is this, this was a high flyer until it wasn't. And then it was a terrible investment for a while. But so. then, there, but then I, I think about that too. And then I think about Lululemon. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's just hard. I think you said it, it two years ago that like retail's hard, <laughs> and, right? Right, and it is. I mean, and we think about Nike as this great. It's it's kind of been a market performing stock. It hasn't been, you know, more more recently it hasn't been this huge winner. So yeah. So last last one here, Eric said his last buy was NVD. I don't know that ticker. What is that? He and he clarified not Nvidia, but. I don't know. Eric, if you want to pop into the chat what that is, I mean, Jason's going to look it up, but that's not a one I'm familiar with. I'm interested is that in the it, French shares of NVIDIA? <laughs> oh, the it's the ETF. Is it the... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's the in, in, NVIDIA short ETF. Interesting. It's a hedge. Interesting. Smart. Yeah. It's a hedge. It's interesting. I like that. That's, a, that's, that's an approach. Yeah. I'm still losing the 2024 contest, Jeff. But you do have one stock in the green finally. So let's, I'll throw you a little, a little olive branch of happiness there. Oh, you know what the best irony is? It's Boston Omaha. I know. So let's wrap with that. I'm very looking forward to their earnings. I, I don't, they don't ever tell you when they're going to be, or if they do, it's like a day or two before. So unless it happened today and I missed it, but. All right, we are at five o'clock. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining the live stream and or listening to this afterwards. Uh, we are recording this on March 1st. I'm going to do everything I can to try to get it out on the podcast feed tomorrow morning, 2nd. So it could be Smatterday for everybody. That's right. I uh, love it. As you listen Eric, to er- Eric, you're exactly right. This was, this was delightful. As always, the reminder, the reminder, Jeff and I love to give our answers these hard investing questions, opine about these subjects, even give what we would do in situations that you are currently in. However, as Jeff said earlier, our answers are not your answers. We're not really qualified to give you individual answers. Own your answers. Figure them out. You can do it. I believe in you. All right, Jeff. See you next time. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.